0: Hello, my name's Anne Morrison, and I'd like to wish you all a very, very warm welcome to this year's David Lean lecture. This event is named after BAFTA's founder, David Lean, and is generously supported by the David Lean Foundation. Last year was BAFTA's 70th anniversary, and David Lean was appointed the very first chair in 1947, when the Academy was created. Now, if you look on the wall outside the theatre, you'll see his name right at the top of the list of chairs. And as a more recent chair myself, mine is down the bottom, usually behind a table of some sort. Um, But as somebody who's been involved with BAFTA for a long time now, it gives me enormous pleasure to see how Lean's legacy as a pioneering filmmaker and his passion for sharing his expertise is passed on every year through these lectures. It's an opportunity for directors with an exceptional body of work to explore the craft of directing and to give us a rare insight into their vision. By doing this, they inspire others. Yorgos Lanthimos is undeniably one of the most exciting filmmakers of our generation. His unique vision and daring choices have made his films some of the most anticipated, making us laugh, cry, and yes, sometimes cover our eyes at the absurdity and the horror of life, pretty much all at the same time. His filmography includes Kineta, Dogtooth, Alps, and last year, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. In the BAFTA Film Awards in 2016, his film The Lobster was nominated for the Alexander Corda Award for Outstanding British Film, an award named after another founder of BAFTA. So, following the lecture, Jorgis uh, will be joined on stage by producer Tanya Sagachin for a question and answer session, and uh, then you too will have the opportunity to ask some questions. Uh, but now it gives me great pleasure to welcome Jorgos Lanthimos to the stage.
1: Thank you. I heard the music from behind the door. I was—I thought I was in the wrong theater. (laughs) But I think this is us. Um, Well, thank you all for coming. Um, I hope you don't mind me sitting, but I just didn't want to be behind a podium, pretending that this is a lecture. Um, So uh, yes, thank you for coming here today, and. uh, I'd like to thank BAFTA, of course, and the David Lean Foundation for uh, this honor. There have been some great filmmakers before me that have appeared here, and I'm hugely honored to be part of this. Um, I, I did say that I, I, I really don't want to give a lecture, so, uh, uh, and I never thought of myself as someone who can do that um, in any occasion for any subject. Um, so, um, but I, I thought what I what I could do here today is, um, if we assume that some of, of my work is of interest, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, is is to to first acknowledge certain common uh, experiences that we experiences that we all may have and common cultural. Uh, influence in popular culture, uh, specimens that we've all been exposed to. Um, but also, uh, in addition to that, share with you some of my experience that might be more foreign to you uh, just because of uh, where I come from or the particular circumstances of my life. Um, so basically, yes, tonight I just want to share with you uh, bits and pieces that have somehow um, shaped my, my view uh, uh, on things and have shaped my sensibilities uh, over the years. Um, but of course, as with many of my films, I'm not really going to draw conclusions for you in the end. You'll have to figure out for yourselves what all of these things mean if, we, if you put them together. Um, so, yes, um, I'm going to start by saying I grew up in Greece, for, you, for those of you that don't know. Uh, I was a teenager during the 80s and the 90s, but mostly during the 80s. Um, uh, during that time, there was a lot of uh, discotheques uh, where I come from, and, um, but also many people who listened to heavy metal music, uh, and I was one of them. Um, And there were the cool people that listened to New Wave, which we listen to now, us that came in later. Um, When I went to the cinema, I, like most of the people around the world, uh, I would watch uh, films like uh, Back to the Future, Indiana Jones, Top Gun, Airplane, Dirty Dancing, Ghostbusters, E.T., Goonies, Rocky, Jaws, Flashdance. And those last three, you probably might have guessed if you've seen a film of mine uh, titled Dog Tooth. Uh, but what I was obsessed with was Bruce Lee films. Uh, it's, um, it's, it's my oldest and strongest memory in cinema, uh, watching uh, Enter the Dragon, uh, which in Greece was very inappropriately called the yellow agent from Hong Kong. <laughs> Um <laughs> so um the title is still the same. I looked it up. Um so the the other wonderful uh, thing about Greece where I come from there's a, uh there's there's a lovely cultural phenomenon which are the open air cinemas uh and during the the 80s again, and the 90s. There, there used to be many more than uh, the ones that exist now. But there's still quite a few. There used to be like two or three cinemas in every neighborhood, open-air cinemas. Um, and um, some of them are, are are quite peculiar in the sense that um, they are s- little uh, plots uh, that are surrounded by tall apartment buildings and. Uh, uh, the back of the apartment buildings has the balconies of its apartment, uh, so you would enter this open-air cinema, and you would be surrounded uh, by people in their apartments, and uh, there, there would be um, laundry drying on the on the balconies, and people in their underwear just hanging out in the back of their apartment. Uh, there, there would be mops and buckets stored there. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite a surreal experience to enter in that kind of cinema, where there's a whole world that you can observe uh, beyond the screen. Uh, and this is not something that I actually noticed back then. To me, back then, it was just a normal thing. That's how open-air cinemas were. You just could see other people uh, taking a shower, uh, or uh, at the same time. And uh, of course, they—I—I I, I was jealous of them because they could see the films uh, that were playing in uh, in the cinema for free um, every night. Uh, but that, I guess, might become a little bit annoying after you know watching the same film for a week, two times every evening. Um, so. I got over that, um, so I don't know if that watching films in that situation had any effect in how I perceived the films, um, but uh, that's where I discovered uh the the films of John Cassavetes and Robert Bresson, who are two of my favorite filmmakers, uh, but I mentioned them, and um, just because they appear to be. Um, their approach in filmmaking seems to be so antithetical uh, and it's, it's hard to believe that someone can equally like both. Um, but I, I assume why I like them is they move me equally uh, by using completely different means of reaching the exact same core. I... Uh, I don't know how to comment on these things. Um, and if I had my way, I would just be showing you clips all night. Um, and then you would have to figure it out. Um, but um, yeah, anyway, I think some things uh, put together next to each other just reveal a lot of things. And that is true for an individual film as well. Um, you gather all the elements um, and you. Put them next to each other, and it all makes sense. So I hope uh, this way we can communicate. Um, so, moving on. Um, so during the time I was growing up in Greece, going back to that, um, there, there weren't many young people making films in Greece, uh, and there weren't very uh, there weren't many people making films in general. Uh, so in order to study film. Um, I, I had to find an excuse uh, because people were worried, would be worried if I told them uh, that I wanted to make films in Greece uh, during the 80s and the 90s. So what I told people is, and I told, I said that to myself as well, uh, that I wanted to study film in order to do TV commercials, which made sense, that I, w- I would be able to make a living, uh, and everybody would be happy and not worry about me. <laughs> Um, so, um, I, I did just that, and I was very lucky that because during the, the 90s and the early 2000s, uh, advertising in Greece was booming. Um, uh, I was able to um, uh, become very confident technically, uh, and uh, I was able to uh, partly finance the, the films that I made in Greece because. Uh, There was no, uh, and still is no, great industry uh, in Greece and there's no structure for financing that is adequate in order to be making feature films. So um, I was very fortunate to also meet the people uh, that I kept working with when I made films. Um, uh, And that's how I made Kineta, Dogtooth and Alps, my, my, my first three Greek films. Um, Making many commercials also um, enhanced my aversion towards uh, polished images, Um, so um, when I made my first film I got rid of lighting completely, hair and makeup, um, pristine framing, music as a soundtrack, um, sentimental over-the-top expositional melodramatic performances which are usually called realistic, Um, (laughs) big crews, build sets, and a traditional script. Um, I wanted to avoid making a a, a formal film by going against everything that was the norm and everything that was considered beautiful. Um, And making up all those rules, I ended up making a formal film and sometimes unintentionally beautiful. So, before, before I made this film, I was uh, fortunate enough uh, to work with uh, quite a few Greek choreographers, um, and I, I watched a lot of their rehearsals, and I, I filmed a lot of their performances, and I, I edited a lot of dance. Um, and uh, that opened up a lot my mind uh, about uh, what narration is, uh, what story is, what character is. How you portray certain emotions. Um, I discovered there's so many different ways in telling a story. And traditional narration just started to seem very boring to me. And um, I also realized by you know by not saying certain things or not by not showing certain things, um, then the viewers engaged much more actively uh, instead of you know, passively watching something and be told everything, being told everything. Um, So filling in gaps and using your own imagination and perception, uh, I find much more uh, satisfying. So uh, working within contemporary dance um, made made me uh, remember... um, something from my childhood. My grandmother was from Ikaria. It's a, it's a very beautiful and idiosyncratic island. Um, and I spent a lot of summers there when I was, a li- when I was little. Um, and every village there uh, has their day of, of celebration. Uh, it's usually uh, a saint's day. Um, and uh, people set up long tables full of food and drink, uh, sometimes it takes place in the woods, sometimes by a little port, like a fishing port. Um, uh, and there's, there's a traditional band playing music, and it, it, it starts from noon and ends the next morning. And people eat and drink and dance, traditional dances, uh, all this time. And the band plays tirelessly um, for, for a whole day. Almost, and um, I I remember vividly because kids have to sleep sleep in the car, which is parked somewhere near. So I was one of those kids that was trying to fall asleep in the car, in my parents' car, uh, and every now and then looking up out the window, seeing people still dancing and drinking and eating. And uh, later when I grew up and I could be part of the celebration, I I tried uh, my hand or foot, um, should I say, on on dancing. But uh, as you can imagine, the results were not very impressive. So I was one of the weird city kids that was trying to do uh, traditional dance. Um, But um, despite that (laughs) failure, um, dance and movement and phys- physicality became very important to my work, um, and it's it's the basis uh, on which I rehearse with actors every time I do a play in the theater or when we're preparing uh, a film. Um, I'm always fascinated by the relationship that people have with their with their bodies um, and. Especially when they're 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 pushed outside of their comfort zones, um, there there's there's a lot of revealing things that happen, and uh, you can see a completely different person uh, through the way uh, that he dances or moves, um, and it's and it's also many times very funny uh, when you try different things this way and. Um, Laughing and making fun of ourselves and playing games and not taking ourselves too seriously when I work with actors uh, is is very important f- for me. Um, I find that you know sometimes when someone's dancing or singing or performing um, badly, but they're doing it with conviction, uh, it's it's sometimes. Even more moving um, than than someone who has it easy. Sometimes I find off-putting someone who can do things easily. Um, so um, th- that's another reason I am attracted to uh, to working with people that are non-professional actors. Uh, they're always extremely surprising. Um, they can make professionals feel very awkward uh, because they don't know what to expect of them. Um, but they, they enjoy it the, very much at the same time to be put in that situation. Um, and um, something that I, I, I came across, a video on YouTube, uh, which uh, it, it, it moved me terribly and it amused me at the same time um, uh, it's it's two uh, old men dancing uh, uh, a Greek war dance called Pirichios, um, and they're dancing uh, during a wedding celebration. So, thinking where this dance stems from, you know, it's from ancient years. Imagining warriors. Uh, dancing that and the tranf- transformation and how it has survived over these years and ending up seeing it on a YouTube video on someone's wedding. Um, <coughs> I so wish I could create something like this in, in one of my films, but it's impossible. And uh, Yeah, the moment where the bride goes by <laughs> behind them and it's like... Yeah, uh, anyway. <laughs> Um, so, um, I discovered things that I, I, I liked in Greek cinema later in, in my life. Uh, one, one of my favorite Greek filmmakers is Niko Papak- Papatakis, uh, he, he lived most of his life in France. Um, so another Greek who has been an inspiring figure, uh, not just for me. Um, just because of the way he interprets something purely traditional um, in music. Um, Through his performance and his his personality, he he completely reshapes um, the original. Um, And I just think he he creates something which is beyond punk, but starts from... uh, traditional Cretan music. Um, So next up, an actor, (laughs) Uh, a Greek actor um, who's uh, extremely unique in particular. He's he's, uh, performed um, various um, uh, Greek tragedies on his own. wearing a a mask, uh, an ancient Greek tragedy mask, um, reading uh, the ancient text according to his understanding of how it would have sounded um, back in the day. Um, And um, he's done a lot of research about how sound traveled um, in those ancient theaters and how certain Lines should be directed in a certain direction, and uh, yeah, he's really delved into it. Um, And um, by the way, I don't understand a thing. It's ancient Greek, so don't worry about not getting any words. (laughs) Um, And uh, I wish I could understand more. Um, So the, the reason why I'm sharing all these things with you is uh, being, that being exposed to such great artists um, that create these unique things um, is what inspires me and what makes me want to continue making films and try and uh, make them better, although I don't really what better means and I cannot define it. and. I don't know what it is that I'm looking for. Um, I think it's something we have something in our heads uh, which we're trying to rediscover in, in, in reality um, and we hope that by making things and creating things at some point we're going to see it in front of us and be absolutely satisfied. Uh, I doubt that that is ever going to happen, but um, at least the effort um, into getting there um, is mostly what 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 counts, and it leaves along the way artifacts that you know other people can um, experience and share with other people. Um, so, finishing up my. Monologue, and then talking about stuff you want to talk about. Um, I'm I'm just gonna um, read you something uh, by Eftimis Philippou He's um, he's he's a very close friend, and uh, we've written most of my films together. Um, and this is from a, a new book of his, which was just published uh, in Greece. Uh, it's, a, it's a very short, I think the, the literary um, term is uh, short prose. It's, it's very short, and I've roughly translated it for you. I hope um, I do justice to it. Um, because obviously, Eftemis is, is someone that has affected who I am as a fil- filmmaker greatly, uh, and it was um, very important in my life that I found someone like him that I can work with. Um, It's called Excursion. My brother is 70 years old. My father is 64 years old. My mother is 14 years old. My sister is 22 years old. And I'm 41 years old. We We got into our car on Sunday to go on an excursion. We visited an archeological site, and then we ate. Let's see who's going to die first, someone at the table said, and we all laughed heartily. <laughs> That's it. Thank you very much. I'm just going just to have Tanya here, who's going to ask us some questions.
2: Thank you. Your boss, thank you so much for that. I'm sure I'm speaking for the entire audience in saying that was really the most illuminating um, lecture or entree <laughs> into your uh, headspace. And um, But I wanted to talk to you a bit about um, your signature, the Lantimos signature, the absurdism, the qualities that are now being attributed to you, and whether they're very, very conscious, or whether they are part of a process that you have evolved over the period of time making films in Greece and in England and in the English
1: language? Um, I, I, I don't think it is uh, very conscious. Uh, and that's why I chose uh, this way to uh, speak here today. Um, because I, I can't quite make sense of it all, uh, and I don't try to very much, to be honest. Um, I, I don't. I'm not analytical in any way. Uh, I'm not when I'm trying to create something. I'm not doing that afterwards. Um, so I think just an accumulation of of things, of things that I like, of things that I experience, of uh, relationships with other people, um, uh, experimenting uh, with things. And I'm also very practical. I I like to try things out and see how it works. So I think one of the reasons that um, I quite appreciate dance and physicality is just because you do things, you just try things out, try it this way, the other way. Um, so it's very grounded in a way at the same time, although the ideas around what we're trying to do and the situations we're, we create might be absurd. Um, you know, the process grounds it, and there's an interesting conflict that goes on between the two. Um, Yeah, I don't know if that answers the question.
2: That does. But also, you've you've written or co-written so many of your films with Ephemus and given us a sense of how he thinks. But how do you begin? Because they're invariably original ideas. Is it a concept? Is it a premise? Is it a philosophical question? How do you start uh, with an idea?
1: Well, it can be any of these. Again, I don't know, you know, where exactly it starts. Um, it's uh, observing a situation, thinking about uh, a, um, a different situation, uh, trying to create uh, tension and conflicts between characters that you thought of. It's it never starts the same the same way, and uh, uh, the way I work with the is, you know, sometimes he comes up with something or I come up with something and then uh, w- we add to each other's ideas and uh, we develop it and it progresses and maybe at some point all of a sudden it changes completely and it's it's, an, it's a very organic process that none of us can ever say, yes, I saw this happening in the street and this is where this idea for this film comes from. It's. It's, again, an accumulation of very different things and thoughts um, about things that um, form uh, a more particular idea for a story. I mean, the stories come in later, I think. We, We gather the elements and figure out what kind of story serves the exploration of all these elements and situations.
2: But if we, if we look at the body of work um, and your influences, you know, Bresson, Cassavetes, um, amongst the other Greek films you shared. But in a way, Buñuel could be there too, perhaps, because your attention, if not directly, but to the bourgeoisie is, is is in all of the films.
1: Yeah, of course. I mean, I would just show you clips all night, like I said before. <laughs> it's just you have to choose... Uh, certain things, and it's always a very difficult question, you know, to answer. You know, who are your favorite filmmakers? What are your influences? Uh, and so much of it is really unconscious and subconscious. And uh, but of course, I love Buñuel and many other filmmakers or individual films by different people. Um, but it it never it never starts by trying to create. Something similar to something else. Mm-hmm. I think we never decided. That's that's the thing. I never decided I'm going to make these kind of films, and if Thiemis never <laughs> decided he's going to write these kind of things, um, it, it all comes through process. It's how do I know how to do this? What do I like? You know, when I see um, when I see an actor saying these words. Why doesn't it sound right to me? And why does it sound right when he's jumping up and down at the same time? I mean, I don't know. I just, you know, try it out and see what happens. So we haven't come to a conclusion that this is the kind of films that we want to make or I want to make. Uh, and I, I do try, in any case, to. Um, evolve and progress. With every film I do, I I try to do certain things differently, certain things um, just because I want to make different things, some others because uh, things haven't worked for me in in previous films, but then you end up messing the things that worked before, and it's just a constant struggle with all the elements uh, in order to try and get something that you feel comfortable with.
2: And if we look at the body of films you made in Greece, um, I remember seeing you on a panel in Toronto with uh, your producer and friend Athena, who you've also acted for, and being envious of the collective, of the sense that you had a community who were working together even in difficult circumstances with not big budgets. but. somehow you took confidence from one another and you were going to will your films into existence. Is that, is that what it felt like at the time? And is that how
1: you work? Um, not, I mean, not really. It's just surviving. Uh, you don't go like, yeah, let's just all be together and you know, uh, create these things and have fun. It's like, I want to make films. How am I going to make films? <laughs> You know, could you please help me? Someone, you know, could you work for no money? Could you give me your car because we need a car? Could you give me this T-shirt? It's good. I, I, this is the T-shirt that, you know, my actor should work. It's, you know, it's just again, it's very practical. Uh, and there was never. I think it's kind of idealized this whole thing um, about Greek cinema right now that has some kind of. Uh, uh, light on it, um, but basically it was just f- figuring out any way that you could make films with very little money. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I have to say, we, we learned a lot of things while making them, and there's quite a few things um, that I'm trying to maintain and carry with me uh, as I'm making slightly bigger films and films in the English language. Um, the structure uh, which that brings into the filmmaking sometimes is disruptive to the process that we were used to making films on our own with no structure and no money because there was a lot of flexibility and a lot of freedom. And when you enter uh, a more structured environment and an industry, you, uh, you discover that there are a lot of rules that you didn't have to mind when you're just, you know, five friends making a film, doing whatever comes to your head. Um, so I, I do try and carry the spirit of, you know, making those films the way we made them as much as I can. In to while we're growing. I mean, growing is a, uh, too much to say because I mean we're just now. Making films that you know people are getting paid. I'm getting paid for once instead of paying for the films. Um, So it's not I'm I'm, I'm all of a sudden making huge films, but um, it does change. And I do uh, appreciate certain things that I may have um, nagged about in the past. uh, In in the process of making films in Greece, I do sometimes go back. And say, "Oh, look how you know how easier it was to make, do these kind of things that now seem more difficult uh, back then." So, um, yeah.
2: but uh, with the work in the English language, there are some p- particular characteristics which I don't know whether you used in, in Greece. But the, um, the, the the tone of the delivery that you use, your actors use, the sort of metronomic monotone. Delivery, which is non-inflected, is that the is that an evolution of what you were doing in Greek, or is that um, an extension of something particular to how you work now here?
1: Defensive stance. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I hope that my whole work is an evolution from film to film. First of all, um, I think that from film to film, it becomes different, um, the language. Uh, But it it mostly comes from the written word and from what I consider appropriate for the particular film that we're making, which again, unfortunately, I cannot explain in, in words what is appropriate what is the appropriate tone for this kind of language. Um, the actual language, apart from it, them being in Greek and now in English, but the language meaning the, the tonality hasn't changed that much. We're, we're the same people. It, um, but as the, the stories change and the worlds that we built around those stories change, the tone shifts as well. Um, and um, yeah, I, I I don't myself I don't really particularly see that kind of extreme stylization that most people described. Hence, you know, I reference that what to most people seems realistic mm-hmm. to me seems something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the fact that, you know, commonly people, you know, call the uh, John Cassavetes films realistic um, is something that I don't particularly understand because I, I think they're very different to Bresson films like we just discovered before, but I think he just pushes it so far that he comes out the other way of, of realism, and then it becomes absurd as well, what they say and how they behave. It has the face of realism, but it, it's not. Um, so yeah, I don't know where I was going with all that. But I, I'm just...
2: really interested in that process because I find your film so funny. Uh, and they're so chilling and so horrific in so many ways, and yet they, um, they make you laugh. And I wonder where in the process, if you start and you're playful when you're writing it, whether the playfulness comes from the rehearsal space, uh, whether the casting is so critical about who, who can expose themselves in the way that you need them to, how you bring those elements together.
1: Yeah, well, every element is uh, almost equally important. Um, I think the 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 humor is there and the tone is there from from the writing. Um, I mean, that's, for instance, why I read you something that Efthymis has written, which is not a script, uh, and you know, even me delivering it has a a certain tone. Um, So. It starts from there, for sure, and uh, then materializing it uh, with the actors or non-professional actors sometimes is figuring out exactly the way it needs to sound in order to achieve that tone which is, at the same time, awkward and funny and disturbing. Um and kind of hanging in between uh things um, which is something you achieve by again by doing it, and you know s- certain actors get it immediately, and others need to to work on it without saying that you know, one way is better than the other because sometimes the actors that need to work on it end up achieving, you know, much more with it. Uh, but it's 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 never the same thing. It's never, it always changes. And, you know, the more people are involved, um, you need to find different ways of uh, getting where you want to get because every person is different and they react differently uh, to it. So you just have to... Figure out the way by doing things again and trying things out, how to achieve what you're trying to achieve, which you don't know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and music, how, uh, where in the process do you decide how you're going to bring music into the film? I mean, with D- the sacred deer, you have this beautiful opening and closing, and the echo of that. Um, piece of music is very powerful for the piece that you've constructed. Was it there when you conceived the idea or did it come later?
1: Uh, Music, well, first of all, in my first three films, I barely used any music. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't figure out a way of using music without it, without the music (laughs) limiting, limiting the effect that a scene had. I just always found it too heavy-handed and pointing to one direction and all of a sudden um, uh, really uh, reducing uh, scenes to a very particular feeling or sentiment. So although I I really enjoy music, uh, I, I couldn't figure out a way to use music in my first films and it just always felt better without it. Um, and I th- think the lobster is the first time that I actually used music as a soundtrack e- extensively um, and uh, then on, on, on the killing of a sacred deer. And music comes in mostly during the editing phase because I, I do need I, I, I do exten- extensive research while, while we're editing and I have a bit of an idea of what I'm looking for, but again, trying it out on actual images and scenes um, makes me understand more of where it can go. Uh, And I think I managed to use music um, finally. Because it occupies a, a different space again. It doesn't, at least in the last couple of films that I've made, it's almost like a, like another character in the film or an, a different element uh, which sometimes works against the scene, or um, against the, the feeling of the scene, or uh, enhances what you understand for the, the scene so much that it becomes absurd. Um, so that, that part of it, I need to try it out during, during the editing and make sure that um, it is what I'm looking for. Uh, and uh, that's why I think I've, I haven't managed yet to work with a composer, because when I work with it for so long with the music and try and find exactly the right tone for, the, for every scene, um, then it's hard for me to replace that with something different and feel that i i achieve the same thing so it's it's been it's been hard for me but it's my next goal is to work with a composer early on so that i don't have to go through that process and be more open minded and freer <laughs>
2: Just um, mindful of the fact that there is an audience here who may have questions, oh. could, um, could you put your hands up if there are questions that you want to ask? We have roving mics, so if you could um, wait for the microphone to come to you.
1: Hello. Um, Hi. I was just intrigued to know whether there was a lot of improvisation on your set. You know,
2: is it written and you stick to a script, or are you open to actors interpreting, or is there, you know, how, how does it work on set?
1: Um, we, we do stick to the script uh, quite a lot. Um, first of all, since we're talking about um, a number of films, um, it, it is different from film to film. Um, in my earlier films, we did improvise more, I have to say, because we, we, we had more time, uh, weirdly enough although less money. Um, uh, But I mean improvising in the way that, because there's a very particular written language already there, and we had rehearsed a lot with the actors, they had developed a certain code, and uh, improvisation meant that they were able to work within that language and that code and create a little bit more of what was already there. Um, or another example is that um, we would come up with scenes on the spot if we ended up one day having a few extra hours and we had shot the stuff that we needed to shoot for the day um, on the spot within that location and the actors. Um, and a lo- sometimes. Uh, my co-writer, of Themis would be there, and we would scribble something really fast, uh, just as an indication for the actors. And again, the actors having, um, having the code that they've developed between themselves, they would be able to do a scene which was not on the script originally. And some of that ended up in the films, some of them not but I found that always he- helpful because it informed both myself and the actors even more about the characters, the story, the tone of the film. So it was useful, if it, even if it didn't end up being in the film, that there was you know, another scene created that would have information for, for both myself and the actors.
0: Um, I want to ask somewhat of a meta question. Uh, How important do you think is the figure of the director, whether it's a filming tradition or your own
1: films? How important is the role of the director? Yes. Um, (laughs) Well, I shouldn't sound self-important. But Um, I think
2: in in your instance, clearly (laughs) the most important uh, role. I mean, your films are your films. No, I mean, I wouldn't...
1: uh... (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not trying to, you know, pretend to be humble or anything, but I literally um, wouldn't be able to make these things without, you know, certain people around me. And that's why I always refer to the films as, you know, the film we made and the things we made because it is true. You 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 you, you need to um, guide people to a certain direction, and that's obviously very important, you need to make great choices, but if you don't, uh, it, it really affects the film, and y- you alone cannot necessarily um, remedy that. Um, so I, I think that the most important of a, of a filmmaker is to choose right. Actors, crew, um, you know, every, every day in, is a thousand questions from, so who do you want to cast for this role to, you know, should the paper be this white or like off white? And <laughs> you know, you have to give answers to, th- to these questions all the time and it does affect uh, the end result. And the people that present you with the questions, they also had to make a choice themselves and they need to present you with two options. So that enters into the equation. Um, and in every step of the way, from writing to filming, uh, I really value the people that I work with. And um, yes, you end up making the final decisions, and it's, it's and it's important. And it, and it is a vision that started from you or you and the writer. But also, I have to say, it never resembles what you had imagined in the beginning. I mean, it just takes a life of its own and it becomes this other thing that you're trying to shape and manage to something that you feel okay with. And I, I never, I mean, I don't know who, I mean, there, there might be some people that manage to imagine something in their heads and then be able to produce it. But for me it's I don't even try anymore. I just I just put the elements together and you know work with them and discover what it becomes. So I don't know if that doesn't really answer the question directly, but um.
2: what what do you do when people say what does this mean? You're actors, oh, your actors or your crew? Right. Do do you answer that question?
1: Or <laughs> <laughs> I do this. <laughs> I, no, I, I don't answer the question. Uh, is the answer to the question. Um, I, because I don't know. I don't. I mean, I, again, I make choices and uh, I work very instinctively and I feel certain things are right and others are not for my truth and my sensibility. And,. Um, I don't know why that is, and I don't want to know because it always spoils it for me. If I think too much about films, like it's like when you, you when you need to write treatments for, for your films in order to get money. Um, it's just uh, it's not the work. It's just the fact that I need to analyze myself and the film so much in order to you know explain it to others. That it it ruins it for me. It just becomes more one-dimensional. It's you know it's it, it all of a sudden it starts being about these particular things and it couldn't be about anything else. Which is the actual reason why I make films is to ask questions and you know expose things and uh, allow people to have different um, opinions about what they are and what they mean and create. Uh, various feelings that might be different from one person to the next. So for me to go and say, okay, I'm making this film for this reason and this is what it means and this is what I want to say is completely besides the point. So sometimes I end up lying in those things. (laughs) So
3: why are you making films? (laughs) What is it that you want to, to experience? Do you, is it uh, therapeutic for you? Is it um, creative? Is it expression? Is it sharing your experience of being a human being with the rest of us? (laughs) I know it is a a little bit of um, uh, an explanatory question. You don't have to answer it, (laughs) but. uh,
1: Great. (laughs) Um, no, it's not. It's, it's just that, um, again, why we do what we do. I, at this point in my life, I don't think I know how to do anything else. Um, but how did I get here? Um,
3: Maybe what? What? Forget about the why. The why will take a lot of hours of analysis, perhaps. Or, but um, what is it that you get then? Do you get a catharsis? you get uh, an experience of being alive and present and existing? And
1: Well, you say much more things than I could say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. It's my way of um, investigating and exploring and asking questions and see how people react uh, to those things. And uh, it's fascinating for me to um, observe how different people with different backgrounds and different experiences and different cultures um, perceive things in, in different ways and how they mean different things to them. And that is very interesting to me in understanding human beings and behavior. Um, so, that's something, I think.
3: So, you talk about something universal. And you mentioned earlier this code. A code that uh, you not develop. Ne- not necessarily.
1: Uh, I, I create what it is that I create and universally perceived, it is perceived in different ways. It doesn't mean that I'm making something which is universal.
2: Can I ask you which uh, film has surprised the reaction to which of your films have you been most surprised by or almost um, happy with?
1: Oh, you know, with all of my films, because again, with different audiences, um, it's it's different each time. So I don't think there's <coughs> ever uh, uh, there's have ever been a, has ever been a film where everybody. You know, perceive the exact same way. Um, so yeah, I mean, I. It's different. Silence. We have we have
2: time for two more questions. So um, can we take one here and one at the back? Thank
3: you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say thank you for your work. Thank you. My question is not so much about your work, but rather your perception on cinema and it is, uh, do you feel that cinema is is an art form that can communicate messages that are different to all the other art forms, or rather uh, a combination of all the other art forms to communicate a more
1: powerful message? The short answer is no, I think. (laughs) I don't think cinema is more powerful than any other art. I think you know, individual works can be very powerful no matter what the form is. Unfortunately, I don't think it has the ability to, cinema or most of the other forms, to change things and affect things. Um, but at, at least it has the ability to shed light on, on various things and make us notice them in, in, a, in a different way. Um, but I, I don't think cinema is, per, is particularly more powerful than photography, or theater, or literature, or, uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> OK, thank you. Uh, hi, August. Um, How do you work with your actors on bringing the characters to life? Do you enter the process with a very fixed idea um, for them, or is it a conversation where they can bring their ideas as well, and you can workshop it together?
1: Yeah, no, of course they can bring their ideas, but there's no conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's ideas that uh, um, we have on paper in the form of a screenplay, which I give to them. <laughs> and then they come up with ideas um, that they present by performing the words on the, on the paper. But I, I avoid any kind of conversation about what that is um, and why they're doing something. Um, the reality behind it is it's, like, it's not like I don't want to speak to people. Um, <laughs> but um, I also find it quite helpful to not know what they have in their heads because it allows me a certain kind of distance um, and to perceive things without the uh, filter of their ideas. So, in other, in other words, to not be influenced and pushed to Perceive what they're doing in the way that they have it in their minds. So if I'm clean uh, about what it is that I'm seeing in front of me, I'm more able to, you know, help and shape what it is that they're doing, or realize whether it is it fits what we're making. Uh, whereas if we both discussed it and agreed on it, I think. There might be many times that we were seeing something that wasn't there, so I try I try to you know have that distance between myself and what they're doing and what my ideas are and what their ideas are, um, in order to be able to have that clarity when I I watch something. Um, so yeah, it's not just about being anti-social or anything. <laughs>
3: Well,
2: Yorgos, thank you so much for this conversation and for sharing with
3: us.